0: Hello and welcome to the Social World Podcast.com. Your host is Dave Niven. Today's show is sponsored by David Niven Associates.
1: Welcome to the Social World Podcast, the special conference edition, and this is the second volume. I'm delighted that. You're back with us again. Um, Sorry there's been a bit of a delay, but um, summer and events get in the way, as uh, I think Winston Churchill once said. So here we go today, and what I'm going to do is let you hear the uh, audio that I recorded on John Devaney, who's the Director of Social Work Education at Queen's University, Belfast, and his colleague John Carpenter, who's Professor of Social Work, at the School for Policy Studies at the University of Bristol. Now, the two of them made a keynote speech at the joint social work education conference called Making Social Work Count. Now, their introduction was saying, how confident are you in interpreting quantitative research studies and presenting research findings in your lectures? Do your students understand how to use numbers and appreciate basic statistical analysis? But But the point really is that if social workers are to engage effectively with research, they need to be able to understand and critique quantitative research findings. For social work as a profession to influence policy and practice, we must produce researchers confident in using quantitative as well as qualitative approaches. So that's John and John. John Devaney, John Carpenter. And then I'm going to play you a a recording, an interview that I did with uh, Daryl Dugdale. Now, Daryl's workshop had a a very intriguing kind of title, was Leaky Masculinities, The Challenges of Undertaking Social Work Research with Risky Men. So, um, between the two of them, I think we've got quite a good podcast today. Now... Daryl was talking about a reflexive analysis of constructionist practices, looking at the methodological challenges and ethical dilemmas, understanding qualitative research with risky men. So, a little bit of a counterpoint there with the two Johns, and uh, so I suppose without any further ado, and remember you can listen to this on iTunes, Stitcher, Podfeed, the Social World podcast website itself, um, so Welcome. To the second, and there'll be a third out very soon. So let's listen to the two Johns first. Here you go. Okay, I've got John Devaney and John Carpenter with me today, uh, who have just given the final keynote address of uh, the Joint Social Work Education Conference. Welcome to both of you. Thank Thank you. you. Now, John Devaney is the Director of Social Work Education at Queen's University Belfast, and John. John Carpenter, after that noise, this is a real conference you see, and John Carpenter is the Professor of Social Work at the University of Bristol and they've both been presenting a paper today, or presenting a keynote, on um, quantitative research in social work and um, what they think possibly is the dearth of it and maybe the need for more. So. John Carpenter, first, would you like to just say a little bit about what your presentation was and how you came to that, that, that idea?
2: Yes, the name, the name of the uh, presentation was Making Social Work Count, and that's also the name of a project that was funded by government, the Economic and Social Research Council, uh, who have been very concerned about um, the development of skills uh, across the whole of the social sciences. And we think that social work is a particular part of social science where social workers as practitioners and as social scientists need to understand how to use numbers in their daily practice. So it's partly about uh, encouraging people to develop quantitative research, but it's also about, and this is the place where we start, people feeling confident in being able to assess quantitative research and to use it, uh, see how they can use it in their practice.
1: Okay, thanks. John, Devaney, do you want to add something?
0: What we've tried to do, David, is to develop a suite of teaching materials that can be used in any qualifying social work programme for social work educators to engage students in seeing both the relevance and usefulness of understanding numbers and how that informs their understanding of some of the very complex social issues that service users face in their lives and about what particular interventions might be most helpful in different situations uh, for individuals and communities. And I think what we're trying to do is to try and ensure the materials are engaging so that if individual students are reluctant about engaging with numbers and maybe not had a very good experience of maths at school, that they sort of get over that hurdle quite early on because they see the direct relevance to their practice, whether it's picking up a research article and being able to make sense of it or whether it is about being able to go along to a meeting and engage in a discussion with other professionals about some of the challenging issues that service users face in their lives and what's the most appropriate and helpful way to respond.
1: Before we get any further, I think we'll do this once now and then once at the end as well, is actually tell people where they can find it, because I know you said it was open to everybody to have a look at, but just to remind people, this, this all started originally with about three core universities, then five core universities, and now you've got a second tranche, haven't you, of very many other universities that joined in. Who, who, what, what are the original three and five that we could just mention?
0: The three original universities that developed the material and then piloted the material was the University of Bath, the University of Bedfordshire, and Queen's University in Belfast. And we were supported in developing the materials by Cardiff University, because they were able to do some training and preparation for staff in the universities and also the University of Bristol uh, and John's uh, significant contribution to the project has been to evaluate both whether the learning that students have been provided with has actually made a difference to their understanding and their confidence of, about using so let, numbers. Well let's
1: show people firstly where they can find it and then I want to ask you about the teaching materials but I mean it, it's a be- it's Bedford University address isn't it? That's right, it if they from, type yeah?
0: into Google or any other search engine the um, University of Bedfordshire making social work count, They should be brought to the website um, and be able to find the materials there, and they're openly available for anybody to have access yeah, to that, I was really
1: impressed by that. I mean, all, all your work is there for anybody to use. I mean, this is, this is how it should be, I think. But yes, I, I yes. Mean,
0: that's I'm, right. It's you know. been, the research, as John says, has been funded by government through the Economic and Social Research Council. So, there's, so it is about sort of facilitating others to benefit from sort of the work that we have done and to take it on to the next level.
1: Right, well before we get to the next level, which is one I want to ask you about what's next in this, but do you want to say just a little bit about the content of the teaching materials?
0: Certainly the teaching materials are primarily ten teaching inputs that go from a very basic introduction to why are numbers important in everyday life, through to why are numbers important in social work practice, Through to then, sort of teaching students about sort of some of the foundational elements of research generally and quantitative research in particular about samples, about um, uh, how we go about looking at sort of who should be researched and the research questions that are posed, through to the final sessions, which are then looking at specific statistical concepts and helping students to understand some core statistical concepts that will help them pick up a research paper and be able to engage with it.
1: How, I mean how long has this been actually if you like out now in terms of actually looking at how it's being put into practice or how people are actually uh, engaging with it?
2: Well it's really uh, two years now yes so we're, we're come to the end of the, um, the three-year uh, period uh, but the project, as far as we're concerned, hasn't finished in the sense that we're wanting to encourage more universities, uh, both in this country and indeed overseas, for that matter, to use the materials. And uh, we'll be following, supporting, um, you know, over the next um, you know, few years, we hope. Um, stimulated partly by the idea that these other places might want to participate in evaluating the materials so that we can learn as a, as a community of knowledge, as uh, John said um, earlier, uh, people sharing about how to use this. And we know that in many other countries they've got very similar kinds of issues. Um, and we're confident that um, people with a similar kind of um, educational background to students in this country will pick it up very easily. The people who probably need it least actually are the people from Hong Kong and uh, Singapore and places like that because students there are much more confident in using mathematics and indeed in using um, uh, quantitative data in social work assignments and so on, which is which is quite intriguing but we want to reach out. That's the encouragement of actually having this material, that people can just get, get it. And it's, uh, it's all... All you need is a, a laptop that will operate PowerPoint, and you can, away and you go. got it. Yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, I know uh, John Devaney. I've both called John here, folks. Yes. But John Devaney actually mentioned about the, the address where you get it from at the University yeah, yeah. of Bedfordshire. That's fine. Mm. Um, and people can download it. But, but you clearly said, too, that you would welcome some participation yes. from other... Universities around the globe, if necessary. That's right. And I mean, whom would they best get in touch with if they were interested? That's perhaps you could say that.
2: Yes. Well, if if they go to the um, to the website, it it explains it all. Then there's one of the tabs is about evaluation, and it's got my um, email address uh, on it. Uh, Questionnaires can be completed, as John has done actually with his students, can be completed online using. uh, uh, you know, online survey tools, and that will then just um, collect the data, um, which can then be um, you know, analysed and passed around and so on. That's the best way to do it. Um, we're going to be developing some of those uh, evaluation materials so that it actually is perhaps more sensitive to some of the things that students are learning and what the issues are for them. We've got a parallel um, set of uh, tools actually for staff, so that they can self-test in terms of their confidence and their skills in in presenting this too. And that's
1: all available on the same site, yeah? yeah. Okay, yes, right? yes. Well, that,
2: that, those, that bit isn't at the moment, but it oh. will be very shortly. We just need to tweak it a little bit, but uh, soon it will be.
1: Well, yeah. if that's under, I mean, under development, fine. I mean, I was going to ask you anyway about the next phase to this work. I mean, how do you picture it at the moment, the next phase?
0: There's probably a couple of elements of the next phase, David. Firstly, we're keen for... Additional universities to come on board. Second phase would be the um, we're in the process of writing up the teaching materials into a textbook mm-hmm. to support uh, students' learning on their courses, and the third phase is trying to think about what next, because some students are ripe and keen to develop their expertise further. Um, So, whilst it may not be suitable for everybody to learn much more advanced statistical concepts, there will be some students who are both able to and very keen Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. learn more advanced statistical concepts. And that's good, both for us as a profession, whether or not people move into practice or later on go on to complete some research themselves.
1: Well, look, you're both very well-established and very experienced educators who've been involved with social work for quite a long time. I mean, so if I could just ask you a couple of final questions each, a bit on the broader landscape of social work, if you didn't mind. Um, because we've talked here, you talked about, if you like, numeracy within Social Worker, at least the, the idea of, of what your quantitative work has been has been about, but from my mind, we also must look at the new landscape, which includes social media and the way that maybe services are delivered, and the way that, because, I mean, you know, you're, you're talking about uh, um, social workers should focus on new ways of looking at research. Mm-hmm. We also think of new ways of practice with whether it's... Um, Skyping someone instead of visiting them, whether it's um, smart houses for people with with mobility problems or elderly people or whatever, or whether it's sort of um, apps for people who are effectively leaving care, you know, whatever, you know, the whole world of social work is now going to be digitally transformed. What do you think about the future vis-a-vis service delivery and the ethical side of it as well as the From my mind, at the moment, the most important thing being the human contact. But we all know that with e-learning and everything else under the sun, that is shifting. I just wondered if you would like to take a few points of that up each. John Carpenter, are you first?
2: Well, I'll mention one thing, I guess, which is that, um, in a way, it's all very well people developing new ideas, coming up with new ideas about how to make contact with service users and so on and so forth. So using Skype as as an example, I'm hoping that the people who are starting to use these things are actually collecting some data about the use of Skype, what service users think about it, how easy it is to make contact, and so on. And the great thing about the digital world these days is a lot of these data are actually quite easy to collect. So you can do an online survey at the end of a Skype call to ask the service user what they thought about it, just in the way that Skype itself asks you to rate the quality of the call. So you can rate the quality of the information that's provided and so on and so forth. And you can check up with people whether they've used the materials and so on. So part of my vision is that people will just feel very comfortable about collecting this information and then analysing it using the kinds of approaches that we're trying to
0: promote on the the course itself. Yes, and I think technology should be seen as an enabler which should enable the relationship to take place and to further the relationship as opposed to being seen as the replacement for the relationship or it's the end rather than the means. Um, I a doctoral student who is currently looking at the online support that parents access through all these different parenting websites and how parents understand the type of support that they're looking for, what they're receiving and how the staff who are responsible for providing advice or moderating chat rooms deal with issues that might arise because there's a safeguarding concern pops up Mm -hmm. and that actually, how does that affect the nature of the the relationship Mm -hmm. between Mm -hmm. parents engaging Mm -hmm. with a website where they're going to communities of support Mm -hmm. but at the same time that doesn't uh, remove the responsibility of others, Mm -hmm. whether staff or other participants, from being mindful that if somebody is experiencing difficulties or expressing certain views or thoughts that that may trigger off a, a different type of response that's required.
1: Okay, just to, a quick word on, on this because it's, it's a subject that I've been quite involved with um, too which is the, the issue of um, scrutiny, uh, Well, or let's call it spying, mm. call it what you like, in, in terms of um, social workers Uh, monitoring uh, Facebook or Twitter or any other social media of people who were in a family where somebody's at risk. Mm, mm. Um, You know, for example, um, if people had been monitoring Tracy Connolly, baby Peter's mother, the day before that baby Peter was killed, Mm. um, they would have seen her talking about this mad great guy that she's with uh, in the house and sex Mm. and drugs and rock and roll. But... All the agencies kept saying they had no idea that he was there. Yeah. So that's on one side. Of course, on the other side, we do, as a profession, have a code of ethics yes. to do with transparency yes. and to do with um, respecting the, the confidentiality of, of all those that they work with. So can I put it back to you to discuss? <laughs> we have, I think, there's a tension here, isn't there? <laughs> and
0: and sort of I'm practising child protection for a very long period of time. I like think it, it does come back that bit about being very upfront with families beforehand about what information you might be seeking to use to inform assessments and to inform reassessments of whether uh, child protection plans or interventions are on track. I'm being very upfront that actually that information may come from a whole range of sources, with professional sources, from other members of the community, from members of the family. And it may also at this stage that we're talking about sort of saying, well, actually... Stuff that you're posting online, I may be dipping in to look at that as well. Um, so,
1: you put a mark on that?
0: I think so. I think it is about being very open with people. Um, because I think when we talk about relational social work, even in situations where service users feel that a service is being enforced upon them or foisted on them, that it tries to sort of be very open about what it's trying to achieve and why and how. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: I think there's a difference between, between um, uh, what John's talking about—that about the sensitive practice in relation to individual families and being absolutely clear—and the idea that social workers or social services departments might somehow get into. Um, link into the um, GHQ or through Google or something like that to you look out for certain, already? To look in, look <laughs> <out> <laughs> certain trigger words, which will then send the surveillance teams in to check whether people are abusing wow. their children. That's uh, what mean, some people
1: are thinking. Yeah, is
2: that right? I yeah. see. Well, well, that, it's well the thinking is going yeah. to happen, or whether yeah. it will yeah. or not. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. we don't yeah. know.
1: But but yeah, I just thought I'd ask you about that one because it's all the... I want to ask a final question, if I may, to the two of you. Right in front of us, we must, which we must imagine, right? Now, a whole group of social workers, okay? Some of them are pretty disheartened at the moment. Some of them are pretty fed up and, um, you know, morale is quite low and we all know that recruitment's a problem across the country and so on. And more in some parts than others, but whatever. But also, just behind them are several young people who are considering whether to come into social work or not. I wonder if you'd both like to give a message to that group of people.
0: I have the privilege, as I'm sure John has, of every year of deciding who joins our profession, Mm. who we allow to enter our social work programmes. And part of the process that we use at Queen's University in Belfast is that we interview applicants. Mm -hmm. And we always ask the question, what got you interested in a career in social work? And for many of the applicants, whether they're successful or unsuccessful in getting onto the programme, it's been because of their personal experiences. Mm-hmm. It may have been that they were in direct receipt of services themselves and had a very inspirational social worker who really allowed them to do things that otherwise mightn't have been possible, or they had a relative who was having a crisis and they saw how this social work, an individual social worker in the social work service, was able to actually turn things around and to make things happen that at a time when they were in crisis to help them feel less out of control uh, and that's very reassuring to feel that in spite of sometimes the very negative media headlines or the misrepresentation of some aspects of what social workers uh, do, that actually those who receive social work services overwhelmingly feel that it's been respectful, that it's been helpful and that it has made a positive difference even if sometimes they find it difficult to fully agree with all of the actions of the social worker in certain so aspects.
1: You're give up, give
0: up, give up. I think so it's about people who are wanting to show openness and transparency with those that they're working with, show high degrees of empathy, but also are willing to sort of look for um, what other information might inform how they should practice, whether it's from research, whether it's from solid assessments, but people who are open to sort of uh, uh, additional ways of thinking. Just yeah. before
1: we come to John Carpenter, can I just ask you one question, because it's always fascinating in interviewing people for the course, or for, to come on to the courses um, does that tend to somehow mimic the uh, interviews for work positions when they leave university, because In my judgment, it's still today almost 99% competency-based, the interview. And I've yet to hear any interview actually say to somebody, do you like children? You know, uh, within the interview process to actually drill down, because to my mind, that's so fundamental, yet we're talking, you know, a police check, 99% competency, and a couple of references. I mean, you're not going to give your enemy as a referee, are you? I mean, that is still always something in the back of my mind, is how we actually select. And, of course, you're very much involved in that. Do you want to say something about that? Well, that? yes, certainly.
2: Um, the, uh, the model that, we, that we've been using for the last few years um, is, is actually much more elaborate than what you've just described. So, it, yeah. um, so, for example, um, when, they, when they, come, they come to the university for the day, um, one of the first things that they engage in after they... Have a sort of introduction to the programme and answer any questions. It is a task where they have to look at a video of um, social work practice, Uh, real life one, which is actually on the uh, on the BBC and shot in Bristol, so it's very local. And uh, as a group they are invited to just go ahead and discuss what they saw there, right? And that's very revealing in terms of the sensitivity with which they uh, approach what's going on, how they perceive the role of the social worker and so on. But actually, the other thing, of course, it reveals is the extent to which they're able to listen to other people in the group, to facilitate other people's comments and ideas and so on. Following that, then they have to write an analytical account, reflective account of actually the that p- group process itself, right? So we get lots of very good ideas and before they actually have the formal interview about whether they can be sensitive to each other, to other people, whether they've got good ideas about what social workers do and so on, and actually write about it. So that's the first bit. And then in the interview itself, yes, we do ask um, some things like, you know, well, what books have you read about social workers uh, recently? So if they've read John Devaney's book, then clearly they um, we give them a plus mark on uh, on that and That's so good on. To hear. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, right. um, uh, uh, but uh, so it's partly you know the preparation that they've given, but we also challenge them to talk about what it means in terms of the you know their understanding of the social work role and how that relates to a commitment to the promotion of social justice and social work values. And those are absolutely central to it. Now, who does this interviewing? Well, the model that we've been using actually involves three people. A university tutor, um, an agency representative, um, team manager typically from um, uh, voluntary organisation or social services. And the other person who's there present is a service user, either a young person right, or maybe an older person, somebody, a mental health service user and so on. But people who have experienced it and, of course, their insights as to how the person has related are, are really absolutely a good mix. But it's the service user perspective that I think is the sort of additional ingredient that's been yeah, particularly no, no. Well, useful I'm, to us. I'm
1: quite reassured yeah. by what you're both saying. I really I, I'm, Maybe I hope I'm wrong too about employers yes. when it comes to their selection processes, um, mm. because I mean I was aware that that you know was in need of a bit of a transformation in my. Mm.
0: And I think and I think there is sort of a discussion going on about mm. how do we sort of look at the different processes that are used in different universities yes. and try and select yes. out the elements that are likely to ensure that those who have the opportunity to come on to courses are at a place in their lives where they're going to take full advantage of mm-hmm. that educational opportunity that provides them with the springboard then to move into practice later on.
1: Mm-hmm. 30 seconds each. Mm-hmm. Message to the world.
0: Well,
2: I wanted so to right. come back, if I may, first <laughs> okay. to the question you asked a few minutes ago about okay. um, you know, social Talking workers. Talking to the
1: social workers, that's what I was yeah. trying ah, right, to come okay. back to. Yes.
2: Well, again, evidence-based... You know, the, uh, we, we often shoot ourselves in the foot about, about these things, we give out messages about the problems in our profession and so on. Uh, one of the things that I and colleagues did recently was to study um, newly qualified social workers engaging in a particular programme of support in their first years following um, uh, employment in England. Okay. And we have data on something like 3,000 um, of these people uh, through, the, through the process. And I'd want to say to people thinking of becoming social workers that, yes, whilst there might be a number of people who are disillusioned with uh, social work and aren't enjoying their jobs, our data showed that 75% of the respondents were either satisfied or very satisfied with their work as social workers there were some aspects of their work that they were less satisfied with, of which the most significant one, by miles, was public respect, or rather lack of public respect, for the job that they do. But in other respects, they valued the nature of the work, they valued the support from their peers, and again, this may come as a surprise that most of them appreciated the support of their managers and supervisors within their within their workplaces. So there is a positive message there, and uh, I think that you know the people that we talked to would say things like well for me it's been a great career I'm really happy in, uh, in, in what I'm doing and there are very many people who've been in social work now for a long time and we need to understand more about their experiences because they embody the kind of resilience in practice and in ideas and so on that I think is Fundamental for the future success of the profession overall. Sorry, that's a bit longer than you asked. No, no, but I think it
1: was worth the saying. So thank you. I mean, uh, it's a good point for me to give a little plug now because we're we're starting my company. We're starting Mm. now uh, offering media training to Mm. social workers at the front line. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to encourage, and I'm doing it with uh, a doctor of linguistics, Mm. who is analysing the actual words that we use in the media and the media uses about social work and we're beginning to drill down with yes. that, he's Bristol based. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And effectively what I'm going to do then is we've actually got a survey of our own out yeah. at the moment. Mm. I think the last time I looked we had 350 responses, so mm-hmm. it's not bad from social workers mm-hmm. and sure, others sure. associated, mm. about the image of social work in mm-hmm. the media. Mm-hmm. So that's been a passion of mine, is yeah, yeah, yeah. to try and encourage that because it has a direct correlation to practice, etc. the next day mm. on the doorstep, that's you know, right. that kind yeah, yeah, of yeah, thing yeah, and so yeah, on. Yeah. So, um, I promise just 20 seconds, but a final word to social worker, but why, what why, What you believe about the profession?
0: I think the profession does a very challenging job, but also an extremely important one. And actually social work has now been around for a very long period of time, which just shows how relevant and critical it is, mm-hmm. even though society has changed to be there for those who uh, are facing challenges in their lives to be around to help support them and to sort of uh, provide the type of support. That individuals themselves, we will make a difference for them.
1: Thank you, and John Carpenter finally. Well, I'm going to s- just simply that, say I that I
2: second it. that. That's, uh, you know, that's exactly All how right. I see it too. So, thank John you.
1: Devaney, John Carpenter, thank you ever so much for thank joining much, us, David. and. Um, for bringing the conclusion almost, what's been an excellent conference. I it think.
2: has, yes. yes. Uh, which
1: I hope we're now going to reflect on about, it's going to be about three podcasts, I think. We've got about four and a half hours' worth of material here. Oh God, Always good, good to have it's... material. I know, always good to have it. So thanks for joining me. Thank sure, you. Thank,
0: thank you. you for okay. asking.
1: Well, there we are. John Devaney, John Carpenter. I hope you found that interesting. I found it intriguing, actually. Now, Daryl. Darrell Dugdale I said it is is from the University of Bristol and Leaky Masculinities so let's have a listen to that Delighted to have Darrell Dugdale with me today uh, now Darrell is a teaching fellow at the University of Bristol he's been there for about five years and today his session was intriguingly titled Leaky Masculinities The Challenges of Undertaking Social Work Research with Risky Men Now. I know from talking to Daryl that this flowed from a PhD that he did. So, firstly, welcome, Daryl. Thank you. Would you like to say just a little bit about the PhD that you did and therefore how today's session came about sure. and uh, a little bit about it?
3: Sure. So, so, when I was a practitioner, one of the things I was very conscious of was the visibility of men uh, and men as male carers. We call them fathers, but, but, but uh, anyone who's a carer and who's male may not be a biological father. Um, uh, I was interested in, so there was um, that was a driver for a lot of time in my thinking and practice, and I think one of the other things I was very conscious of was the uh, challenges that uh, my colleagues uh, and myself, uh, on lots of levels, uh, had in engaging with these men who sometimes were themselves chosen to be absent. So, so that's that's where uh, the original drivers were, and and so my my. my the, my, my focus in terms of PhD was was to try and understand from men's perspective themselves about what motivates them or chooses not they choose not to be motivated to engage with the child protection process So thinking about the agency of men, their decision making their choice as opposed to thinking about it from the perspective of the practitioner um, So that, that, that was that was uh, um, the, the focus so was, I was really interested in the experiences these men had of their child protection. Uh, Engagement um, and interviewed four men over a period of 18 months. Two men three times, and uh, uh, one man twice. One man twice, and one man just once. Um, And we began to, uh, um, I began to understand some of the themes that came out of that narrative, that discussion. But today, but today was more specifically about the methodology of, of, of me undertaking that PhD and and to think about. Um, more specifically, the, uh, how gender might impact on me as a researcher and them as, as father figures and, and what sense we make of that and how that can become data forming. Okay. So that, that's what it was all about.
1: I mean, my instinct would be, when, when thinking about your subject, would be what a challenge because sometimes getting a hold of men to interview and talk about that particular subject seems awfully difficult. And I imagine it was to a large extent, well, that, um, I
3: imagine it was, was that the case? Well it's interesting because I think all these men um, wanted to tell their story hmm. uh, and, and they had a whole range of stories to tell um, uh, but these weren't men who instinctively offered themselves um, I had to provide a level of flexibility okay. and, a, and a accessibility that perhaps practitioners don't have the space or time ordinarily to do and I think that made it a difference So so. It was challenging, but once we made that connect, um, certainly the four men I spoke to were um, willing to talk.
1: I mean, I was w- I was wondering about that because, in all honesty, um, you know, you've studied a subject, you've specialised in a subject, you've thought it through far far more time available possibly to you than perhaps frontline practitioners mm-hmm. would mm-hmm. have, and if you couple that with, I suspect, the idea that one of the outcomes of this you would hope is. That you would um, provide some good learning material for frontline mm. practitioners in interviewing men mm-hmm. in working with men, mm-hmm. so if as you quite rightly pointed out, they don't have the time maybe that you had to to, to cement that engagement or however you want to put it I mean. Have you any first sort of thoughts about how you, you could help frontline practitioners in the shorter space of time they have engage well?
3: Well, there are three elements to that, I, I guess, David. One, one is that um, what I'm interested in doing in the future is to think more specifically about the skill set that practitioners feel they have, because there are pockets of excellence happening across the four yeah. nations, yeah. right, but it isn't consistent. So I'd like to do some more thinking and some more research with practitioners about the deficits they see, the strategies they might engage with, where the gaps may be and what we could do in terms of research to develop that side of, of, of things. There's, there is literature around and, and people at this conference have written about practitioners' engagement with men and, and, and I do deliver a training course on working with men which I've delivered to safeguarding boards around the Four Nations too. So. And, and there are exercises that allow social workers in a day to begin to unpick and reflect and engage with some of the complexities of that, of that process. Um, but I also think it's much more uh, complicated, it's not just about individual, it's about the strategic um, and the culture of, 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 of agencies. Uh, so for example, if you don't have a, a an opportunity to reflect on gender and supervision, then gender isn't something you are consciously engaged with. So these sorts of things I think are important, it's not just about individual practitioners, it's about how agency is strategically engaged with gender.
1: So taking another aspect mm. of it, because I mean it's, it's a very worthwhile subject, I don't think anybody would disagree mm-hmm. with you on mm-hmm. that one, it's just a question of how I wonder how many practitioners would feel competent in actually doing it properly. Mm. One of the things would be interviewing skills, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I mean, my my company, we run a, a course on questioning skills for professionals, but that's based on the kind of the five levels of police interview techniques. Mm-hmm. But it's really a, a question of drilling down uh, to get the best data in times of crisis, mm-hmm. which, to some extent, mm-hmm. you're 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 mir- mirroring because mm-hmm. essentially you're mm-hmm. talking about men within the protection system. Mm-hmm. Therefore they are in a crisis of some description <coughs> and, and so, you know, I just wondered how there might be some parallels between that.
3: Yeah, I'm sure you're right and, and the base, the, base, the basics of communicating effectively are, are indeed those 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 five levels, right? I, I wouldn't disagree with that, but what the, the big missing bit for me is, 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 uh, is, is, is gender, but more specifically masculinity or manliness. And I don't think, um, you can have all the communication skills in the world, but if you don't have a sense of how men might perform around self, and masculinity is one of those elements, I, I argue, um, then I think uh, th- th- there are more challenges for you. So if you're able to fuse those things together, mm-hmm. an understanding of what manliness is, how men understand self or masculinity theory, and you couple that with skills, and you engage and develop and develop every period of time, I think those sorts of things might be helpful for practitioners. Mm-hmm.
1: What about the the numbers? When you mentioned that it was four men you're particularly mm-hmm. focused on, mm-hmm. and, this, and, and obviously, guessing. Um, you would have preferred some more if you could, I don't know, depending on what time you had available. But do you think that was enough of a, a number to, to reflect um, what you were looking for?
3: Well, so I think, I think this this is a, d- a sort of discussion about methods and validity and all that yeah. sort of reliability of... of, of experience approach. is yeah. important too, I yeah. not yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I think um, I'm, what I'm very clearly not saying is my four men... Have all the answers, or the themes I've identified are the answers to. It. But what I what I hope to have done is is uh, is enhance the sort of uh, literature and the thinking and the debates that exist, and let's take that forward. Okay. Um, and I think four men were enough using the uh, the approaches I did for us to draw out some key themes for us to continue to, to develop our our practice and thinking about. Okay.
1: Well, look as a sort of final thing, because I don't I want people to be able to 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 key into what you've done. Are there papers you've got, or website, or research, or book literature, or, or anything that would allow people to see your work in a bit more depth that you could mention on air now, and you know people can look up?
3: Well, there's there's a, a couple of articles I'm in the process of writing, so hopefully in the next six, seven, eight months they'll be out there. Okay. One about the methodology about leaky, leaky masculinities, and one about um, the themes um, yeah. um, from from the uh, PhD. I've also written something and seen and heard, which some people might, might know about, um, uh, about the process of, of uh, uh, delivering a training course um, around masculinity and men and child protection and some of the challenges of that, so that's available, um, mm-hmm. but hopefully some stuff coming out soon.
1: And you also do a training course, as you said, on the subject, indeed. And presumably you're available from all good bookshops. Indeed, 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 indeed. <laughs> always available. Hey, listen, Daryl, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and thank you very much. You had a very good session today, and um, hopefully people will um, look to your work more after they, they listen to this.
3: Well, thanks for asking me.
1: You're welcome. Cheers. Well, there we are, and there's Daryl's contribution, and I hope you enjoyed that interview. The. The, the audio quality here, unfortunately, wasn't uh, the best because we were in the middle of the auditorium, we were in the middle of this kind of, me- on this mezzanine floor, but it was a real conference and we had to actually deal with what we found. Normally not as good as our, our audio quality is, but I hope enough for you to still uh, retain the interest in the interview because the subject was fascinating. So thanks ever so much again. The third of these special conference podcasts will be out very soon. Thanks for listening.